step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome back to it, Broncos Country Tonight. Benjamin Albright, Nick Ferguson, Grant Smith, joined in studio by Coach John Pagano. What up? Good to see you back, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. A little Beastie Boys going on. We have to call them the Beastie Men now. Is there a point where like age progresses where you got to start calling like Harry Potter, Harold Potter? I talked about the Beastie Boys last time I was That's there. That's why I'm telling you, Grant See? never misses. <laughs> never misses. Dang. He on point. Yes, always. That if it, was. If this were the Avengers, he'd be Hawkeye because he never misses. <laughs> I like that, man. I did like the Star Wars hat. Oh, appreciate it. That's May the fourth be with Thank you. you. And also with you. Well, if, if you like the hat, you got to check out. Oh, yeah, he's got the jacket, oh, too. Look at that. Good. I didn't even see that. Now I'm just jealous. That's an old school one there. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm just jealous. You got the Rebel Crest, you know, right there? Yes, yeah. I love of course. It. That's good. 56690 is the text line. Going to head on out to the Centura Health Hotline, though, as we are joined by the one and only Peter King. Peter, how you doing this evening? Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having me. Uh, doing great. We appreciate you uh, jo- jumping on the show here on Broncos Country tonight. We've tried to get a pulse of what the national media feels about this limited draft class that the Broncos had and uh, how well it can do here in Sean Payton's inaugural year with the Denver Broncos. Well, I think one of the things that interested me is that before the draft, they said, look, we're not trading Judy. Uh, We're not, I mean, we're not, I, I would assume that meant we're not trading Judy unless we get an incredible offer, unless we get, an offer of a one or something, or maybe a one plus. Um, so, you know, obviously they didn't get that. And they, uh, they hung on to a guy who they think, even though he hasn't been great yet, they think in Sean Payton's offense, he's still got a chance. That to me was almost, I mean, it clearly wasn't the biggest add to this team, but, you know, I listened to what the Broncos said before the draft, and I wasn't positive that a team with a receiver need sort of near the end of the first round, the Giants or the Bills or, or somebody, wasn't going to, uh, you know, make a, make a big offer. But obviously, he comes back, and I think that's going to be a big deal. I think one of the other things about this draft for Denver is that I think that that what Sean Payton wanted to do in this draft and what George Payton wanted to do, obviously, is to make absolutely sure that the teams in this division didn't get way ahead of them and, and didn't, didn't lengthen uh, what exactly is, uh, you know, what, what the end of last season showed, which was that, this team not only needs a rejuvenated Russell Wilson, but it also needs uh, some some talent to come in. and And I don't think any of the teams in the AFC West uh, had the kind of draft where you could say, "Well, 
you know, they, they, they left Denver in the dust on this. So, you know, I think probably all in all, it was a good weekend for Denver. Or Peter, you talk about a rejuvenated Russell Wilson. Now that Sean Payton's here, that's kind of the biggest, bigger question. And, and you tell me from your 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 opinion and your professional background, what do you think that looks like for for you? If the Broncos are to be successful, Russell Wilson has to do what? Totally buy into Sean Payton, um, and essentially not try to be a guy who is the biggest star or the most famous guy or in it for anything other than that. He's trying to be a great football player and Peyton will basically make sure that that is what this team does. And, and they're not going to be any sacred cows on this team. And look, there's been a lot said about, you know, some of the stuff. And I mean, I wrote about it in, in training camp last year that, that Russell Wilson had the uh, skill players on offense come in at 7 a.m. and do a lot of stuff before they even met uh, as a complete offensive team. And I remember the week after I wrote that last year, I was on the road in training camp, and one coach in that division said, I just would never allow that. I just I, – and, and again – I didn't think that it was a terrible idea, particularly because at the time Nathaniel Hackett thought or at least told me that, hey, that's good. I want the players to take ownership of this, and it's great they're working you know, longer hours. But I do think there is part of this that Sean Payton, basically, I think the reason he had to be the number one choice all along for this team, with all due respect to D'Amico Ryan's, is because they had basically a fire alarm going off in the quarterback room, and unless they address that, uh, you're not going to get this franchise fixed. And so I think it was a good hire to get Peyton, and I, from everything I hear, Russell Wilson is in eminently coachable mode right now, and uh, if he can be fixed, after the debacle of the first, whatever, 15 weeks last year, whatever it was, I think Sean Payton's got the best chance to fix him. To that end, was the acquisition of Russell Wilson the worst thing to ever happen to Nathaniel Hackett? Did it place expectation on a guy who had never been a head coach and put him squarely in the crosshairs? Well, what was the alternative, honestly? You know, the alternative for them... I mean, you don't even want to think of Brett Rippon. I, I, I can't, I don't know. what. Another year what of Drew Locke? Going? Yeah, I, you know, maybe. And But again, I think that as much as people say perhaps that, man, I would have rather had Drew Locke than the nightmare of Russell Wilson and everything it cost him, maybe you should say that on November 1st this year, but not on May 1st. Because, I mean, there's a reason they paid Sean Payton 18, 19, what, a million, whatever it is, a year for five years. And there's a reason they did that. And it's because anybody who watched Russell Wilson play for going on a decade in Seattle saw that this was a winning, great NFL quarterback. And last year, everything he touched turned to crap. 
And so I choose not to believe that Russell Wilson's a hopeless cause. I don't think that at all. I think Peyton's got a heck of a chance to fix him. And so we'll see what happens. But I think it's too preliminary to say that it was awful. It certainly was awful for Nathaniel Hackett. And and maybe Nathaniel Hackett, if he had it to do all over again, would not have treat, treated Russell Wilson uh, like some combination of Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana and given him everything that he wanted and the and the office and the video crew and the you know and all the stuff that that Russell Wilson had last year. So I think before you want to say that this is a debacle, I think you got to give Peyton uh, his few months with Russell Wilson. We are maybe a little over a week out of the NFL draft, and something that happens every single year that you know that, that boggles me. Like we, we hear all this draft talk about prospects. But it's like maybe that day or the day of the draft, we, we hear all this negative information that comes out and drops on these athletes. In your opinion, you've been in business a long period of time. Why is it that these narratives come out at the opportune moment to devalue a lot of these young players? Well, I've got one very strong opinion about that, and that is uh, there's not a soul. There's maybe five people in our business, uh, in the media business, that had any clue what the F2 test was two months ago. And, uh, and I think what happened when it came out about C.J. Stroud is that this was a seven-year te- This is a test that had been given for seven years, okay? And... C.J. Stroud essentially uh, did a lousy job on this test. And, and look, we all, everybody knows that C.J. Stroud scored poorly on this test. However, we don't really know. Chris Ballard of the Colts told me exactly what this is. Now, Chris Ballard loves the S2 test, uh, this cognitive test that's supposed to tell you how players can – Make this, how quickly they can make decisions, how they can pour, perform under pressure, all those kind of things. And, uh, and he said, look, I, we value it. We think it's a good tool. However, we don't think it should be the be-all, end-all because there's not enough data. Uh, and we don't have enough fresh data about this. So I really think that that whole thing bothers me. And I spent a few minutes with uh, with Stroud in Houston on Friday, and I give him credit. He would not trash anybody. He wouldn't. He was. You could tell that it really had bugged him over the last month. That essentially he was being uh, given up on by X number of teams because he performed poorly on this test. And, and I just think, I think it's going to be a tremendous uh, motivational tool for him. I think one other thing about, about what happens before a draft, I wrote something in my column this week in my football morning in America column, in which I went back to the 2020 first round. And um, I basically, I, I put it under the microscope 
And I said, look, there's 32 picks in this first round. And of those 32 picks, eight, eight have turned into really good football players. You know, everybody from, uh, from Joe Burrow to Justin Herbert to, to Andrew Thomas of the Giants. But, but I said, so other than that, 24 out of the 32 are some combination of nice players or abject failures. And so we in this country, in the media, we make draft weekend a national holiday. And ESPN and NFL Network talk about the 32 players in the first round, and or 31 in the, in in this year's case. But basically, they uh, you know they talk about these guys. I don't want to say saviors, but as gigantic helps for the team that that they're going to. And I just think that is a disservice to the public paying attention to the draft. And I think the focus on a lot of these off-field things, I mean, look, all you have to do is look at C.J. Stroud play against Georgia last year on New Year's Eve. And if you think he can't process information and make decisions quickly, you don't know anything about football. And so we'll see what happens. Maybe he won't be good. I don't know. Nobody knows. But I do think that that there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions that happen right after a draft. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it, sometimes it is a struggle to sit there and balance, you know, uh, reporting on things versus keeping things out that, that, that simply would just be detrimental to uh, to somebody who's trying to make their dream come true that night. And, and that balance can be, yeah. I think, a difficult thing to strike. Uh, real quickly, we got uh, a last question here for you. Uh, what was the most surprising thing that happened on draft night to you? Uh, the trade that uh, Houston made to move up from 12 to 3 for Willie Anderson. They made a trade and basically gave the Arizona Cardinals uh, essentially a quarter, you know, franchise quarterback draft capital uh, for a defensive end. And look, Willie Anderson might be Bruce Smith. He might be a Hall of Fame player. He might be exactly what they have searched for for so long. But I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Willie Anderson to be really good really early because they traded what could be a top three or four pick next year. And who knows, there's going to be a lot of good quarterbacks next year. So, and again, I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. All I'm saying is that my jaw dropped. And I happened to be with the Raiders in the first round of that night uh, of the draft a week ago. And I can tell you that there's some people in that draft room that, you know, were they were as shocked or more so than I was. <laughs> well, Peter, we appreciate you putting in the time with us tonight. Uh, uh, you uh, can find him on NBC Sports, Football Morning in America column. Always fantastic read. Always a great guest. Peter, we really thank you for jumping on tonight. Thanks a lot, guys. Yep, take care. Peter King, NBC Sports, Football Morning in America. Always love uh, chat with him. First time I met him was uh, Rams Camp 2010, I think it was. It was the first time I ever had a chance to bump into him, just observe the way that he, he goes about facilitating those relationships and talking to people and getting that kind of information. And uh, whether I agree with you know his opinions or not, I've always admired his work ethic. He works hard in mm-hmm. the NFL. I mean, he He's an does institution. his research. He's an institution. He, he has a lot of eyes and ears 
out there to, uh, you know, help them with a ton of this information throughout the National Football League. Don't, the, the, the funny thing just listening to that was, you know, basically this, this new test that's out there and, and how, you know, how someone says he didn't score well. Nobody's seen it. Nobody knows. I, I guess it's just, you know, hearsay. But uh, I've seen some scores that are not good and that never stopped a team from drafting a player. Well, yeah. It's all about what, you, you know, your background mm-hmm. of, of, of how you acted, but it's also about the film and the tape you put on. Well, and it should be. Your tape should be 90% of your DNA anyway. 100%. But um, if you guys want to figure out how the S2, what that is, it's s2cognition.com. You can take a look at what the test does and what that involves. When we come back, we'll talk with Coach John Pagano about what he thinks about the Broncos draft class. Benjamin Albright, Nick Ferguson, Grant Smith here. Broncos country tonight. KOA, 850 AM, 94.1 FM. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol... Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From the station bringing you every Broncos game. Touchdown, Denver! This is Broncos Country Tonight, presented by Betfred Sports. Never miss a bet with Betfred Sports on KOA. I mean, there's a reason they paid Sean Payton 18, 19, what million, whatever it is a year for five years. And there's a reason they did that. And it's because anybody who watched Russell Wilson play for going on a decade in Seattle saw that this was a winning, great NFL quarterback. And last year, everything he touched turned to crap. And so I choose not to believe that Russell Wilson's a hopeless cause. I don't think that at all. I think Peyton's got a heck of a chance to fix him. Welcome back to it, Broncos Country Tonight. Benjamin Albright, Nick Ferguson, Grant Smith, Coach John Pagano in studio with us. That was Peter King talking about Russell Wilson, Sean Payton. I, I mean, Russ, to me, is on a one-year audition for Sean Payton. Sure. You know, I mean, you got to go uh, produce. And, you know, it's about wins and losses. And, and that's the most important thing right now. And it's, you know, figuring out that balance to... Uh, you know, get Russ to play at a high level that he's, you know, accustomed to of what they did before in Seattle. I thought when Coach Hackett was fired and, um, you know, Jerry Rosberg made Justin Auten, who had been the OC in title only, uh, the play caller, I thought Russ looked inspired. 
it felt like they started playing better as an offense. And maybe well, that I was... Think, I, I think changes like that always inspire. Well, I mean, rallying around the interim yeah, phenomenon 100%. and all that and, But they and, also, they, they consolidated the offense. Like he was running, Russell Wilson was running the football again. Sure, we don't know exactly how much of the verbiage or certain things changed in that. They did look better the last two games of the year, and, and, and that's important. So there's... Um, you know, you always look for some positives to take away from uh, a year that didn't go so well. Mm -hmm. So you, you look at those things and, and you see it and how you build off of that to, you know, get him to plan at a high level. I think what it was, it was a sense of urgency. Sure. Because it, it's it's crazy how someone getting fired mm -hmm. changes the dynamics of what you do uh, on either side of the ball. Mm -hmm. So Russell knew that he was somewhat under the gun from that situation, but I started to see more wrinkles in the scheme that really accentuated his skill set. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and that, you know, that sense of urgency is is really just, you know, playing better. It's, it's getting your reads, your keys running the football, keeping teams off balance through, you know, play action to, you know, you could see him moving more outside of the pocket. I think those last uh, couple games, uh, a lot more than what they were doing, mm -hmm. you know, with Russ. And, um, you know, you, you take you take for, you know, what he did those last couple games and you, and, you, and you keep building off of that. It's going to be a totally different offense. It's, you know, from Sean Payton's offense of, the multitude of, of personnel packages that you're going to see uh, going against those offenses back in the day at New Orleans. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was almost like hockey line shifts of, you know, certain receivers and tight ends are running in and this group's going out. And it was uh, truly, you know, something they were looking for was always about matchups. Whether you got stuck with base defense on the field, if you had nickel defense on the field, and it was always about those different types of personnel groups and be able you know, to keep it balanced like that. Oh, I want to come back to that in just a second, but I want to go back to something we were talking about just a second ago, that rally around the interim kind of phenomenon, because you've been through that with the Ken Norton's, you know, with, and they, you know, and you, you were yeah. the defensive coordinator. Right. How, how much of that is a team well, I think it, rallying around itself in the middle of turmoil? And how much is it, is it, you know, you coming in and saying, okay, I've seen this from the other side. This is what we need to do. Well, you always look to, you know, I always felt like, uh, we, we had no identity, mm -hmm. you know, we needed that identity of, of what, what do we want to be defensively, you know? Uh, and I, I just felt like, you know, when, when that happens or during the season, you, there's, there's something wrong, you know, with that defense. And it's, it's always to me is about an identity. And then the two other things, which we talked about, but is belief and ownership. Mm -hmm. The pl players got to believe in this deal. And, and we talk very, very much about ownership. It, it's, it's, it's their defense. It's their offense. Uh, Russ tried to show last year ownership of, of meeting, you know, with the players in certain things. How, how those worked out, it didn't because they didn't win games for it. But, you know, players taking ownership, I think that is, is, is one of the biggest things that, that you need because it creates accountability, and that's what it's all about. Well, we know in this game, you know, coaches want every player to be as perfect as you can be. Mm. And we know that is very impossible to, to do. I, I've, I've yet to uh, see a player that graded out 100% every game. Never. Right. So from a coaching standpoint, when you know that your guy 
uh, in your room is struggling, how, how do you handle that? How do you, you approach you, that? You really try to simplify it even more for them, and you try to get them going. Uh, something that where it's it, it's uh, it, it's an easy fit. You know, if you have a feel for it during the game of of a team's going to run this certain run, that you can get him into that position. You can always uh, help corners. You can help secondary guys by rolling coverage. Certain things you can help, uh, you know, different players. But I, I used to tell the guys all the time, it's a game of mistakes, but it's the team that minimizes the mistakes wins. It's, it's You're never going to play that perfect game. It could come down to, it, you know, we always talk about five or six plays. But really, you know, having the players to me is understanding and simplifying it enough to where um, they're out there just, re, you know, reacting to what, we went over during the week and not being able to, you know, make it harder and making making them almost guess in a situation because the last thing you want is guys being able to, you know, guess out there. Well, freezing up, paralysis by analysis in the moment, no doubt, and and you know, making making football instinctual and those kinds of things. I want to go back to what you were saying there just a moment ago about uh, you know the fit and 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 that kind of stuff. One of the things that I've always felt like is that Denver has a built-in advantage that nobody else has. You have altitude. Sure. Why why have we not had coaches take this scripted offense and come out and sugar huddle and and catch people in in a they, mismatch but you know and get get those get those defensive linemen gas to start the game. They they used to do that when 18 was I don't uh, we had to put in uh three calls before the series started, and it was all code words, mm-hmm. but it was a way for our guys to play fast if if this Denver offense wanted to go fast. It didn't matter if it was first and 10, mm-hmm. and it went to first and 10 again. These players had three calls, and they loved that. And the reason why they loved it, it was, it was their ability to – they didn't have to worry. They didn't have to look. They had the three calls in their head. We're going. If mm-hmm. they huddle, we'll huddle. If they're going fast, we we have to be able to go fast. And it was uh, something that Denver did back in the day that that kept you on your toes, and, and you really had to, uh, you know, break it down to where it was so simplified that your players could communicate at a fast level in altitude. I always felt like that that if you could start the game off like that, if you can catch those guys on the field, not huddle, and you've got a, a script where you can get out there and gas somebody, the two of the three biggest weapons defensively in in the AFC West right now are Joey Bosa, uh, obviously, and Max Crosby. Why wouldn't you try to gas them to start the game? You, you uh, they they always do that, and you know, with those certain types of pass rushers, and when they happen to come out, it was very obvious. I thought when. You know, when I was in San Diego back in the day with Norv Turner, and we had great matchups with the Colts. Mm-hmm. We had battles with the Colts back in the day, and it, it was funny because I, I think at one time I was up in the press box when I was coaching the linebackers, and I could hear the offensive coaches, Freeney's out, Freeney's out. And now it's just, you know, 999 <laughs> shots <laughs> downfield. Down field. Yeah. Freeney's in. Okay, they ran toss crack at them. They're doing all these different things of of play, you know, certain things. And it, it's about, you know, knowing when those guys, and that's why you have to have a true balance of, you know, if, if Bose is out and those guys are going fast, to be able to, you try to balance it so it's not a complete, you know, twos and three backup type of guys are in there. You always, if you had 
one or two good rut. You always tried to keep it where you knew you had one out there on the field. But it, it was something that, you know, us as coaches, even when they went fast, we had a buddy system. Mm-hmm. It was hard to sub. You you watched the player that was, you, you know, you're backing up. And there's no coach being able to tell you to get into the game. You saw him. He came running. You went running on. So that helped us to um, – um, you know, be able to play fast, to be able to have a have a good understanding of, you know, what they're trying to do offensively for us to, you know, try to have some sex. It's success because we didn't win that much, you know, uh, here in Denver. We got them uh, one or two times, but it was uh, something that we always had to work on. Well, I think that's really important to, to point that out for being – a defensive player myself, that's the one thing that you wanted to do. You always wanted to play fast. You wanted to remove the thinking aspect of it. No matter if the team came out in hurry up, no huddle, they got into bunch formations or guys were winded, we know at the end of the day, if they go empty, okay, here's our check. This is right. exactly what we can go into. So guys are now thinking and now they can play. But sometimes, and in my experience, I've had defensive coordinators who will overthink the situation sure. and make it more complex? Like we can have like three checks. Sure, and, and we've all we've all been there. We've all been there of of over analyzing certain things. When it, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it's I had one player come off, and uh, we got off on third down. It was like third and nine. We were playing Jacksonville. I won't say the player's name, but it, it was a hey, great call, Pags. Great call. Um, it's cover two. And I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, I, and I'm sitting there looking at him like, come on, man. Like, it's cover two. Like, okay, so this just told me he wants to, you know, be able to roll up and play mm-hmm. a little zone. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like to mix in a little man and, and be able to, you know, have the ability to come at people. But it, it was, it was, you know. He he was pumping me up, but like I looked down at my sheet and I was like, "Come on, that was <laughs> it, it's still about the the players being able to execute the call." And to me, that is the most important thing. And you see that, you you do see that. You look at the San Francisco 49ers on defense. Mm-hmm. Complicated? No, no, no. It's not. You've you've you, you know I've, you've I've seen been there. there and you've been yes. there. And I I was up there in training camp last year and. And and you, they have great players in in all these certain spots, but you know it's about you know playing fast, and they do it. Five six six nine zero is the text line. We've got Coach John Pagano in studio. If you guys want to text in your questions for him, um, do you think that the Niners are going to experience any struggles this year? They're converting from a you know D'Amico and, and Robert Sala's kind of variant of Gus Bradley's cover three to Steve Wilkes and that cover two. You think they're going to have any any struggles at all t- making the I, transition there? I, I don't think there'll be struggles. I I think he'll uh, have an ability to be able to add mm-hmm. certain things that you know. I, I coached with Steve uh, at the Chargers, and he'll he'll probably make, they play to you know everybody plays the same certain types of coverages. So mm-hmm. I think he'll be able to add to it. I, they're not going to wholesale change this deal. They. They play at a high level. They play at a fast level. Trust me, it's easier for one guy to come in and, and learn the calls than it is doing a wholesale change of one guy teaching everybody else everything new. So I, I think it gives them the ability to uh, uh, add to it, to learn from you know certain things they did, and maybe 
hey, why don't we, you know, try it like this? This is kind of how I saw it, and this is how we did it. And you be, uh, you know, it's it's able to even grow a defense. I, I felt like in the National Football League, nobody talks. Like, no, you don't – where colleges are going to meet with the University of Miami on their defense and so-and-so is going here. Nobody talks. And I, I felt like when – you know, when I became a defensive coordinator at the Chargers and being able to get other coaches in from other systems, it really uh, helped me grow, not only because I was so into one system of Wade Phillips and certain things that it it, it gave me more coverage ideas of getting a Ron Milas and uh, Bob Babich. And, you know, I started getting these Tampa 2 guys all around me. And then I could, you know, I could say I could coach Tampa 2 now because the things that they've been through, through those staff. So I always felt that helped me. So, so, so how is it, it's great that you, you feel that way, but a lot of coaches don't because they feel as though they're giving away the, the bones of the, and the structure of their defense or their offense. And most coaches are not willing to share that. Well, they don't do that unless you're on the staff. Yeah. So when I was able to hire those guys gotcha. to be able to coach with us, I felt like, Oh my, we're, we're doing things a, a little bit different and it was just you know because you're always watching film you're always yeah. putting in your own ideas you're trying to create certain things and we did that as coaches you have to be able to do that you just can't sit there and you know come out and play just plain old hook drop spot drop cover three and see if it's going to last because you have to at least keep teams off balance and and that's what those teams do and that's, I, I think that's the hallmark of, you know, with, with, with all due deference, I think that's the hallmark of great coaching is being able to, uh, being able to hire those guys and adapt what it is you do to, and then picking up those, you know, old dog, new tricks kind of thing. And then at the same time, impart that to them so that they're able to grow their own, sure. you know, their own selves as defenses to watch on. I thought it was great what, uh, you know, Vic and uh, over there with the, the Chargers now, I, you know, I thought they had a pretty good relationship and that Vic took concepts from, uh, from him, and then he took things from Vic, and they both went on to. And now those defenses are kind of the vogue defenses in the league. Yeah, everybody copies everybody. There's, there's no if you, you know, I, I, I felt you know, offensively, defensively, everybody's looking at different things that people do, and and you try to, you know, take uh, um, certain things that you see on film, and you try to build it into your system to be able to make it work. And and if it fits of what those different types of coverages or blitzes or certain things to that nature. But yes, that is, that is part of the game. Is there a go-to defense that you feel as though you can call that would allow your players to be really aggressive? And what I mean by that is that sometimes, like you were just saying, the, the player was really static about you calling cover two. Right. And, and usually it's like, okay, well, coach is giving me a break. I don't have to be in man coverage a lot. But there, in my mind, there's no one coverage that takes everything away. Oh no, there's not. There's there. That's why you have cover four beaters. Yes. There's nine beaters. There's mm -hmm. cover two beaters. They would run a certain route in Tampa two, and being around a lot of those Tampa two coaches that we did hire from from, you know, me coaching with Ron Rivera to Steve Wilkes to Joe Barry to. Bob Babbage, all these guys that uh, Ron makes, mm. they're like, they see a route and they're like, ooh, that's tough. Yeah. And I'm like, but you guys lived in that. Yeah. And they're like, 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You've never seen to... that one. we got to adjust on that one. <laughs> so, you always have to keep growing through yeah. that. They're living in Tampa, too. I'm running dagger. I'm just coming dagger all the Look time. Look at you. Little da- he got all the verbiage, huh? I love it. Did you tell him that one? No. We got no, more got verbiage coming at you next. <laughs> Broncos country tonight. KOA 850 AM 941FM. From the station bringing you every Broncos game. Touchdown, Denver! This is Broncos Country Tonight. Presented by Betfred Sports. Never miss a bet with Betfred Sports on KOA. I had one player come on and it was, hey, great call, Pags. Great call. Um, it's cover two. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, Grant cut my laughter off. I went a little joker on that one. Broncos Country Night, Benjamin Albright, Nick Ferguson, Grant Smith, Coach John Pagano in studio with us, 56690. You guys want to get involved in conversation or you can leave us a talk back. Good evening, gentlemen. Prophet here weighing in on the pressing issues of the evening. Grant, I cannot believe that you are a Star Wars hater. Ben, I absolutely had a Cheryl Ladd poster on my bedroom wall as a kid, and if your parents had said something to me about it, I would have said, have you seen Cheryl Ladd in a bikini? That is proof of a higher being. Absolutely. I also had a fanboy moment when I had lunch with Rene Russo. That's right. I forgot. Okay, by the way, our guy, Mile High Profit there, um, I forgot he was in Tin Cup. Was he? He's an extra in Tin Cup. I'll have to go back and watch that now. Yeah, he's, he sent me the still at one point, by the way. Do you but still have it? Somewhere. I mean, I got the, the picture. Pull it out. I have to pull the picture out somewhere. He sent me the still, but like you can see him in the crowd. You can tell it's him. So, uh, My High Prophet on Twitter. I always love uh, when, when John leaves us stuff like that. If you've ever seen My High Prophet at the games, he's the guy holding up the commandments in the, you know, in the orange Moses outfit. I've seen him. Yeah. He's, That's uh, him? Yeah. Yes. He's, uh, he's a lawyer in real life. <laughs> Every time I see him now, I'm going to think of Cheryl Ladd. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same. Like, I, I mean, yeah. And I, and I am mad at you, Prophet, because Cheryl Ladd, yeah. Raquel was too. But. I said, dude, that had the poster. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying. But that was the, we were talking about that earlier because Sauce Gardner didn't know who Jessica Alba was. I saw that. And I'm like, bro, how do you not know? Like, when I was his age, I still knew about, you know, women that were 20 years older than me that were, you know. At right. that, that echelon it, it, of... But I, I told you his excuse would probably be that he's not into, you know, I guess, film stars the way that he's into sports. So that may have been the thing for him. I mean, I've been to sports. sports I'm into sports. And I still found social like, media I carved out time to admire yes. users. Physical perfection. I mean, well, see, was, I, I can't ask my 13-year-old to name a TV show, but he'll probably tell me everything that's on YouTube right now. Yeah, or TikTok or whatever. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. They don't. The, 
it's rare. I mean, if they're watching TV, it's sports related, probably. Yeah, my and, kids. And, and, and thinking about what you're saying, it, it drives me nuts because we are now obviously in the the culture of, of consuming information. But it's YouTube and TikTok, and and some of the kids, and and I can't get into it. They, they they're watching other people either play video games or they're watching other people eat food, and I'm like, I don't want to sit and watch someone eat food for hours. What is what is that? That's like voyeurism, isn't that? I, I mean, I guess it is voyeurism. I, I don't know. I can't. I'm not into watching people eat. That's not my jam. No. There, there are other things I can watch. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't even watch like, the see, hot dog contest. I can't watch that uh, stuff. On Coney Island? You know, yeah. The oh, Nathan's Hot Dog? I can't watch Oh, yeah. That. You got to watch uh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's so part of Fourth of July. No, I think so I missed it this past fourth. It, I was like hurt. Yeah, that's you missed I, it. I was like, we were out doing something, and I was like, we we missed it. It's like Joey Chestnut. Yeah, Joey. Yeah, you, you know, because I didn't want to see. Oh, he oh he broke the record. Oh, great, and we yeah. missed it, and it hurt. That's a lot of hot dogs. That's man. a that's a tradition. That, it is a tradition. Like you you can't start off the festivities of Fourth of July without the hot dog eating contest. Yeah, I'll throw up. Man. No doubt, I will throw you, up. You're not eating him, so you don't have to worry about throwing no, I can, up. And I can eat a lot of food. Like I will eat a lot of food, but I can't watch like something about the wet. Hot dog buns, like I don't. It's but you're not eating it. It just grosses me out, dude. This is so un-American. Right. It's call so me, un-American. Call me Comrade Albright. It's yes. fine. I, yeah. If, if you know, it's a hot dog. <laughs> it, it's, it's a bun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's the fourth. Yes. All right. Well, maybe I'll just try to suck it up and do it this year. I don't know. Whatever. I just, Come on. It's, uh, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, okay. First of all, we have Grant, who's never seen Star Wars. Has no idea, and yeah, now we have me. now we have you who you choose not to watch the hot dog eating contest. I choose not. What's, to. what's next, Coach? Do you have something else that's un-American that you that, that you do? No. Okay, thank you. See, it's only I, you I, two guys. I only guess. you yeah. two. How did I get painted? Yeah. This used to be me making fun of Ryan as being un-American. How did I get put in the un-American because box? Because you said that it, you it, don't even watch the hot dog eating contest. Right. Look at that. I just uh, yeah. You got to be able to do uh, that. Yes. God. Part of the fourth. I watched the, I watched the recap. We have to find fireworks in the air. No matter what, well, we yes. are looking, we are driving around Denver so my family can see some fireworks oh. going off in the air. That's, you have to. Yeah. That's that. I mean, there, I'm, I'm with that. In fact, that's part of the reason I loved, I don't live downtown anymore, but I used to live downtown and right there at the you top, I just go, everything. go right yeah. up to the roof and I could see the no whole doubt. city lighting up with fireworks. It was fantastic. Wait, wait, I yeah, thought there was good. kind of a law in California, not California, him thinking about California, but here in Denver that you can't have anything that shoots into the air. I, law, suggestion, whatever that is, we still, oh, still, it was still now. going off everywhere. There's so stuff still <laughs> in the yeah. air. Like, what are you, you going to put we me went, in we firework jail? We were at my buddy's this last fourth, and literally up on his rooftop, you could see the whole skyline, Denver. And everything just and then, popping and blowing up. Oh, <laughs> everything. And then we went right out to the front balcony, and I think Cherry Hills or something was doing their fireworks. Mm-hmm. So at, at a certain time, so we could be able to see everything. All the day, yes. saw it all. Yes. It was good. Yeah. That's, I, I love doing that. I, I, I am a red blooded American, Nick Ferguson. Listen, man. I'm not I, Ryan Edwards. I don't hate Top Gun. Listen, I'm not questioning that. I, I'm just based on what you're saying. You know, I, I try to be a good listener. And, and based on what you said, it, was, it just kind of shocked me. Like, man, come on, man. That's, that's 4th of July. I guess. I don't know. That's never been my. Uh, that's never been my 4th of July thing, I guess. I don't know. I'll do it this year for you guys. All right? I'll video it so it's proof, and then I can, yes. I can call myself a self-respecting American again. There you go. 56690 is a text line. You guys want to get involved in the conversation. Had some good uh, some good text coming in, mostly about making fun of me for not liking carrot cake. But 
uh, from the 970. If Russ puts up 2020 season numbers, he's here long term. That was me talking about the uh, uh, talking about the um, one year audition with Sean Payton because I I feel what, like that's what Russ really is here. He's here what, on a one year audition. What were those 2020 numbers? Those were the MVP. That, well, I say MVP numbers. It was the year Lamar Jackson won the MVP, right. but Russ probably should have. So. All right. I'm trying to get a rise out of Nick, and it's not working. No, it's not. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. See, I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. You, you, you tried to, to put Ryan, that on that fly. I used to get Ryan so riled up on that, cast it out there, and I was I, like, nope. Not I, today. I would get Ryan so riled were they up on great that. Great numbers his last two years in Seattle, or were they just uh, kind of standard quarterback well, numbers well, they, for the they, NFL? They were, well, uh, 2020 below, was 2020 was above. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's sure. it's kind of below that of his national average of what we expect from from Russ because that's when the offensive line wasn't that great. They At lost, a high level. Yeah, they lost a couple of running Receiver backs. Receiver-wise yeah. and skill position-wise, they were still competitive. Pretty good. I mean, they're still competitive, still pretty good. Right. But you you know this being defensive coordinator, if your offensive line is not really blocking and you're constantly under duress, it makes it real difficult Correct. for you. Yeah. Very hard. And if you're a quarterback that hangs on to the ball a long time, then you're going to make your offensive line look bad. And we went we went through that in the years in San Diego with Phillip, mm-hmm. where his confidence level was not at a high level because the offensive line was hurt, banged up, guys were coming out. And that change of the Mike McCoy, Ken Wisenhunt offense when they came in and being able to get him back into a rhythm and timing and all those certain things of being able to, uh, you know, make him have successful, you know, games, plays, however. But we've seen that where quarterbacks go through that to where, I mean, I, I saw crossing routes where it would just bounce. And, you know, you'd be like because he was worried about getting hit or something to that nature from the injuries of the offensive line. But it, it does. I mean, it affect. I mean, you, as as a quarterback, when you when you start getting smacked around a little bit, it does. Sure. It does affect you. I mean, you sure. know, it's it, it'll get in your head, and then that clock speeds up on you a little bit. I mean, that's as a defensive coordinator, I, th- I would think that that was your goal. Those, those clocks are always going. It, it didn't matter even with certain quarterbacks because you you could see them even they never even had the you know you'd show a disguise a certain thing and rush three and you're dropping eight and they're sitting there and they're like somebody's going to hit me. It, it's coming. The longer it gets in the down, and we've seen that with uh, not only, you know, younger type of quarterbacks, but even those veteran quarterbacks because mm-hmm. it's that, that why in the ball out of my hand yet? Why is it not released yet? And it was from us just being able to, you know, sh- show, you know, certain things to be able to drop eight, rush three, but you still get them on that clock. You know, what? we often heard last year about, and Ben just brought it up, as far as Russell holding on to the ball. Sure. And the, the way I look at it, and I want to see if you, you view it the same way, sometimes it's not just the quarterback holding on to the ball. It is the, the coverage is kind of dictating it because they're taking the first option and the second option away when you see a quarterback and you watch film and they seem as though they have a difficulty getting the ball out of his hands, certain, what are you telling your guys? Yeah, certain coverages, you know, we'd always go into it with knowing that a quarterback's going to have this one type of outlet. If you're going to take his first option away, there's going to be a check down. There's going to be a swing to him. There's going to be a tight end sitting over the ball. And, and you look at those certain things. We had coverages, everybody does in the National Football League, that when you're playing – it gives you the ability to take away certain routes and options and how fast can he go from left to right or right to left to be able to see the field. And I think to me, it's that processing 
of understanding, okay, I'm getting this coverage. The ball needs to go here. Mm-hmm. There's been times where you've seen quarterbacks where it's like, ooh, I thought it was that, and it's not that. We've we had some great in, in 13. Uh, uh, we ran a trap coverage that on Andy Dalton that like it, to this day he's probably still feels <laughs> like a trap. Like, is that guy gonna jump this or not? Yeah. Just because of how the players went out there and executed it. And you, anytime you hit, get quarterbacks in those certain situations and coverage and they don't have that type of success early or you catch them in something, it, it they start seeing ghosts and they start, you know, feeling certain things and, and and they react a little bit different. You get that mentality of having to, you want to bail yourself out of it, you know, and then you start pressing and it sure. makes it, it makes it that much worse. Sure, you for, they force it. I was worried they were going to ruin Joe Burrow. Cincinnati did not put an offensive line in front of him, and he was getting smacked around those first two years. I mean, just, just, I, I, it would have, it would have made me quit. Uh, right. and, and I was worried they were going to ruin him. And that's one of those guys, like you got to say to his credit, man. That, that guy just worked through it. He worked through the, the horrific injury uh, that that he had. And and man, if they ever get an offensive line there in Cincinnati, watch out. Sure, they're, and I think they're building it. I, I think trying to. I, I think they've gotten better. I think they're. I haven't looked at the numbers, but. It, doesn't seem the frequency of sacks that they were, you know, giving up earlier into his career to where it is now. It's probably exactly the same as far as I know. But, um, you, you know, you see him more confident in the offensive, you know, philosophy that they built there, and you see that ball coming out a lot quicker in rhythm and timing. And they got great, you know, they have they have receivers and, and tight ends and guys that they could uh, – you know, get it to in the open field. He had a uh, 7.3% sack percentage, which is horrifically bad. Uh, his rookie season took 32 sacks in uh, in nine games, took 370 sack yardage on 51 sacks in his sophomore campaign for an 8.9 sack percentage, which would, would have been second worst in the league behind Justin Fields. Uh, and then that reduced to 6.3% this past year, which is still bad, but it's, right. it's light years better than where it used to it's be. a lot better. So Yeah, you, you, see, you see that and, you know, it's – it goes offensively of getting the ball out of your hands even even faster, and I think he has a, a great understanding of that because he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league. They had Orlando Brown. We'll see if that if that helps out over there. I don't you know from Kansas City, but it's it, it's still the interior of that line still looks uh, charitably suspect sure. to me. Well, well, here's let's look at it from an offensive standpoint. I always go back to these three quarterbacks: Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Right. What is it that they all have in common? Get the ball they, out quick. They they get the ball out quick. They they understand that they lack certain aspects to their game. So they know, well, I have to get the ball out really quick. And when you think about, I guess, arm strength of all three of those guys, right? They, they're not considered to be strong arm quarterbacks. No. So it's like, how quickly can I get the ball in the flat? How quickly can I diagnose things? And I'll tell you, I did a, a coaching internship the year the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. So I sat in a room with the quarterbacks, and, and Coach Kubiak asked me, well, what are you doing in here? You're, you're interning with the defense. Right. I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to sit in here with the quarterbacks because this, these are the guys we're trying to stop. Sure. So I, I sat in the back of the room, and Greg Nett was running the meeting, and he was asking some of the young quarterbacks, and Zach Dicer was here, uh, and, and Peyton Manning was in that room too as well, so it was Brock Osweiler. Mm. And he was asking the younger guys to kind of diagnose the play before it even took place. Right. And they were they were having trouble trying to figure it out. 
And then he asked Peyton, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, okay, this is going to be good. Mm -hmm. So he comes and he determines what he's going to do based on what he saw from the guys up front, but then the linebackers, right? And, and, and I sat and thought, I was like, man, I never really thought about it this way. Defensive guys would give the coverage away. A linebacker would be a step or half a step to off his normal mark. And Peyton goes, well, I know because of that, they're going to shift and that safety's going to come down. Right. They have 3D coverage. Mm -hmm. I could throw the ball outside. And I was right. like, I was like, where was this when I played? Right. Where was this? No, it, it's it, it's a science with these top quarterbacks. It's we, we would talk to our safeties about how your feet were. They will look if your left foot's back. That oh, he's going to open up that mm -hmm. way compared to if your right foot's back. Our nickel playing the star nickel alignment out there on the slot receiver. We we put an emphasis on inside alignment, head up, outside, doing those things differently pre-snap compared to when the ball was snapped because just based upon those alignments, they could tell what coverage you're in or what type of leverage or certain things you're playing. So we always had to try to be able to do that, especially when you have these quarterbacks that call the game from the line of scrimmage like he did. And that's what that's that's the we always talk about being detail oriented. That's that that is what it is. Um you go back and, and now that he's here as a head coach, you could probably ask him about it. Coach Prime used to talk about that as a player. He's like once or twice a game I would open my hips up to make it look like I was doing something sure. I wasn't doing to try to tip tip a quarterback sure. to, to come at me on that play. Yeah, no, yeah, there's there's all those different techniques guys would use and you try to, you know, keep it very balanced, but you try to give them different looks. Well, we're going to give you a different look here in just a second. We've got to pay some bills right now, though. You're listening to Broncos Country Tonight here on KOA 50 AM, 94.1 FM. From the station bringing you every Broncos game. Touchdown, Denver! This is Broncos Country Tonight, presented by Betfred Sports. Never miss a bet with Betfred Sports on KOA. Well... He certainly was a great player for us. Uh, we uh, we had him for a year uh, after the transfer from Alabama, but we moved him inside for us. And and uh, great ability to rush the passer, can run, very very tough, uh, but wonderful person. Uh, I think the folks at Denver will be excited about him as a man as well. But just a very tough, hard nosed football player. Woo, big suey. Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. That sounded good. I'm from Arkansas. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I'm learning a lot while I'm on this show. Yeah. But he said some great things there of character, moved him inside, mm -hmm. great rusher. So they probably felt they had some better edge players at the time. And to be able to get more players onto the field, some guys have to be able to move around. So uh, it, it, it you know, gives him the ability to be able to do different things, and, and those are positive. I think uh, the thing that, that probably shocks a lot of people, Drew Sanders had nine and a half sacks. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. At Inside Backer in Arkansas. Right. Will Anderson had 10 sacks. You know, I mean, the guy who got drafted number three overall. If you want to talk about productivity. And then the other part of this, I think, is the size equation. I don't think people realize how big Drew Sanders is. He's 6'5", 230. Will Anderson's 6'4", 235. Yeah, that's, I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. You, you look at those edge players, and that's about the cutoff that you're looking at. 6'5", is, is that. Mm-hmm. You start getting into 6'6", six, six, you're not, I think Chandler Jones is edge, you know, those true edge players. Six six, those types of guys start getting their hand in the dirt, and they're playing that true four three defensive end where this where this uh, player has the ability to play inside outside and and, and do the things that he, that he can do. Now, Sam Pittman talked a little bit real quick. Sam Pittman talked a little bit about him uh, if he is an inside linebacker in the NFL. I think he is, and I think uh, I, I think whatever they, you know the Broncos know a lot more about defense than I do, but. <laughs> Uh, wherever they play him, I believe he'll be able to play. But, you know, I, I think this, I think he's very still raw as an inside linebacker. But if you look at the beginning of the year to the end of the year for us, um, he certainly improved uh, each and every game uh, playing inside. However, I do think that helped him in the draft because he played on the edge uh, at Alabama. So, you know, wherever they want to use him, I think he'll be outstanding. I do think that he can play in that league and play really, really well uh, as one of your two inside backers. Now, you think that he is a candidate to be more on the outside. I'd say with that size-speed combination, he certainly looks the, the archetype. Sure, to be a and, and that gave him higher value to be able to do what he did at Arkansas to be able to play inside. It, it, it's all about reading, reacting, instincts, how fast that is such a different look when you're playing on the edge and you're down the line of scrimmage and you're reading that near back and that tight end and that tackle compared to stepping off the ball and you're over a guard center tackle combination being being able to read those things at four yards in depth three yards in depth and and have to react where Kind of on the edge, it's a little bit more reaction timing because the things are happening a little bit quicker with a base block at you or 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 they're running a sprint out pass. You're just it's a little bit quicker in your reaction compared to inside. When when guys are playing on that second level, you're absolutely right. I mean, you you can't take false steps. One false step can mean as though there's a gap that's open. Now there's a home run play. But as we were talking about Drew Sanders, there was a guy that came to mind. It's similar measurements, a guy who could play both inside and outside. Remember Justin Hollins? So I was just thinking and, about and, and And the Broncos were trying to figure out right. where to put him. Is he a true outside guy or he is an inside guy? And, and that's, that's always my question. When you get a guy who has a lot of versatility, there's a right. lot of production, a lot of value there. But as a coach, finding the right place to Put that guy so he can hone his craft instead of kind of having him going back and forth. Yeah, because you can't get locked into your craft. Your your 
okay, I'm inside today. And we did that with Justin. Justin yeah. had the ability on the edge, and I think Justin has grown you know, into a player that I felt was more of an edge player. He was a, a player that could uh, uh, play off the ball and be able to see and read those things, and it, it gave him even more value for your team because if you're the fourth or the fifth outside linebacker, it still gives you a chance, you know, to be a three or a four inside guy. And that just balances that. And, and seeing Justin, Justin never played over a guard center type of situation. It was always on the edge at Oregon, always in space. Mm -hmm. I actually went and worked him out. And, and one of the other players, when I was with the uh, uh, Texans went up there to, you know, to Oregon to work him out and you could see, the ability, but you also wanted to find out those certain things because he did. He does have that uh, makeup to be able to play inside and, and see how well he reads and reacts to those certain things. But it, it's always that transition of how you truly use those players. I think day in and day out, if you give them a, a, a very small package to be able to understand of how fast they can go and play, I, th I think there's always value to that. But like Coach Pittman just said, this player's learning and he's still growing. And I think you have to start him in that situation of him playing inside, but you also have the value to be able to put him on the edge outside. Yeah, I mean, very limited number of games. He was a 12-game starter for Arkansas. I played in 16 games for Alabama, but that was mostly on special teams. I think he only had four starts. Uh, at Alabama, and right. it was mostly on the edge at Alabama. The inside backer at Arkansas, he was, he was a Mike in a four three, and that was that was a learning thing for him. You, you mentioned Justin Hollins. The other comp that gets thrown out there is Tremaine Edmonds, but Edmonds was a polished inside backer because that's all he'd ever played. Correct. Um, he, he wasn't he wasn't out there on the edge. Drew is, is still learning, and it's going to be interesting to see because we've had. And I, I think if there's one guy that 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 kind of fascinates me to coach him. It is Vance Joseph a little bit because right. Vance has had some hybrid guys. I mean, the, the, uh, the kid they drafted. Isaiah. Right, Isaiah yeah. Simmons. And then the other kid they drafted, the linebacker, uh, uh, Zach um, and Collins, I believe it was. Yep. Yeah. Who's all kid? Yeah. Another yeah. guy who's yes. the same thing. So there's kind of a, uh, I, I don't want to say like a, a history there, but at least he's got right. some kind of an idea of what to do with some tweener players like sure. that. Sure. And and they had, I think, uh, Reddick. Yeah. Who went to Reddick, the, yeah. It same, was, yeah. Is he an off-the-ball guy? Is he rushing off the edge? What do we do with these certain types? My thing is, do, let them do what they do best, and, and and you keep building, you know, around those certain things. And and if there's value to be able to play him inside that, that gives you opportunities to, you know, have other players out there on the field, I think that's a plus. We took a, a player in the fifth round, Kyle Emanuel. Hmm. He was an outside backer. Played hard, Sam linebacker, played on the edge for us, very smart, you know, came from, uh, I believe, North Dakota State we drafted him from. And we had some injuries at inside linebacker, and, and I always felt like he was an outside guy. He knew the system. So to be able to ask Kyle to, can you please, you know, go in and play 12 to 15 snaps of base defense at Mike linebacker instead of being able to bring somebody off the street try to teach them our verbiage, our terminology. And we did that one week versus the Raiders just because I, I felt more comfortable with at least Kyle knowing the system. I know what type of player he is. He loves the game. He's hard-nosed. But to be able to have those guys to be able to do it, that's a, you know, he wasn't going to make a living playing at inside linebacker, but he gave us that value to be able to add him inside. And I think that's what they want here in Denver. I, for me, I think versatility uh, at any position, it's great. 
And uh, for any defensive coordinator, it gives you a multitude of different things that you can throw at the opposition every single week so they're not seeing the same thing. And I always talk to Ben about this, and I, and I love this part uh, of the game, where you, you have an offense that they want to get in 11 personnel and they just want to run you, right? right? So as, as a defense, you have to figure, okay, well, how can we match that? And the first thing I think about is when you go to what I'll call, you know, like NASCAR. Sure. Where you get a bunch of different bodies on the field. They may not be as large as you would typically run in your base package, but these are fast, athletic guys. That, that's going to put pressure on that quarterback for those guys to do their jobs. No doubt. And and that that was – we go through years of of looking defensively. at our, our numbers one year of sacks and missed tackles and takeaways were so down. And we're doing all these different circuits. I told you, guy, we're doing, you know, this takeaway circuit and tackling circuits here in the NFL. And and then the next year, we got faster, and we got guys that could play the ball in the air. <laughs> and we didn't do one takeaway circuit or no tackling circuit. And, and Casey Hayward led the league in interceptions because we got guys that could play the ball when it was in the air and, and those certain things. And I always felt defensively, the faster you got, the more the more explosive and less missed tackles that you're going to have as a defensive unit. And those things, you know, when you're building the team, speed is, is you know, we always say you can't, we can't coach that. And to get a guy to be able to, you know, play fast and, and Andy runs fast, that's what you're looking for on the defensive side of the ball. It's interesting because it does feel like the league vacillates between size and speed when you want, obviously, the combination of both. Um, you know, obviously, Al Davis, was, I think, was a little ahead of, of the curve with the, the track star uh, sure. mentality. But you look at the teams that were that were winning uh, in the in the mid-2000s to, to, to 2015, a lot of it had to do with, with size guys. And now it's back to speed. You look at the Niners, you look at the Chiefs. They don't care about the size, it's the speed. And can you think fast and can you play fast? No, and, and I think that hurt players when they first came into the National Football League years ago. Mm -hmm. They always felt like, i, I got to be big as a middle linebacker and mm -hmm. gaining all this weight. And Oh, that now these injuries start showing <laughs> up because of the weight and everything. And, and I've had players that, came in at on the edge at 265 and then they dropped to 247 and they're making plays and sat and they're not injured and th those certain things and I, I think that's big into the game of, of truly these players understanding their bodies but also that that, that it's not a big side yes offense and defensive linemen inside have to be big other than that you're you're looking for those speed guys that can run and, and be able to make those plays. And if they are big, then then it's a bonus for you. Well, where do you stand on this? Because I know that there's a different approach from the offensive side. That They think, okay, well, you put a 240-pound linebacker, 235-pound linebacker, okay, we know our offensive linemen are bigger than your sure. linebackers, so we're just going to road sure. grade you out of the, the run game. You look at Philly. <laughs> That's the big <laughs> – that there were some big human beings of on that offensive line. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are those those are legit. And what you have to do with those teams, I always felt when we played them the one year. But movement, you have to have speed and and movement. To, you're not going to be able to take some guys. Some players are not going to be able to withstand sixty five plays of of attacking. How big and you know physical and strong? I thought that was probably 
the way Jalen played, don't get me wrong, their skill's great, but that, that offensive line is is dominant. And Jeff Stoutland does such a great job. They're one of the premier offensive line is, coaches right now. He, they do a great job of running the football. They keep it very simple. They What you see in the first quarter by the second quarter, that's kind of what you get getting for the game. And they execute it at a high level, and they have those – Run actions to play actions to pay. you don't you don't know what it is but they do a really good job of keeping it simple there. You mentioned something a minute ago when you talk about guys coming in at two sixty dropping to two forty seven sure. being their best selves and it goes back to the physics of it because force equals mass times acceleration right sure. and everybody focuses on the I, mass. I, I think so. That is. I've been trying to throw I, I, a little, I'll, little I'll, science I'll, and math. physics at you. Yeah. Real quick. I, I went to the school up. up, up, up. <laughs> Mesa in Grand Junction. No, I'm not hate on that. <laughs> I will tell you, force, force does okay. equal mass times acceleration. The problem is that everybody focuses on the mass. They try to bulk up. Sure. But if you come down a little they, bit, they, but if you can improve the acceleration, right. then you can still provide that. And that's, that's I mean, it's just physics and action. We had many of those players, and I've seen even guys since the you, you see them at the combine, you're talking to them, and then you go to their pro day and workout, and it's like, What'd you What'd you eat? <laughs> What's going? What happened? Where does ten Nothing. pounds come from? Nothing but creatine. I, yeah, I, I I know how I'm gaining weight because that's a, the fast food. But like certain guys, and they're like, "Well, we don't need to be this big." Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, it's about it's it's explosiveness. It's that 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 quick twitch to be able to you know move and see those things. And, and guys didn't understand that. I think they have a better understanding now. And they're seeing it because they watch certain players and how they uh, take care of their bodies and how their body types are. But see, that that makes the whole draft uh, evaluation very difficult because we just had everyone talking about, before the draft, about Bryce Young, how small he is. You look at Russell, you look at Drew, you look at some of the other quarterbacks in the league, and I can easily see why guys put a heavy emphasis on on bulking up because it right. always comes down to size because if they are not big enough, that is going to be a drawback to them being drafted. Oh, well, he, he, he's too small. He's, me, not, he's not going to be great for the physical part of the NFL. I agree with you on that. It, it To me, those skill positions, you have to have a little bit more bulk in certain things of the hits that you're getting. Me talking defensively, it was more about that speed factor of guys with injuries being able to go sideline to sideline, run into the football, certain things of that nature. I think with Bryce Young, you put on the tape. Does he? Did he win football games at Alabama? Yes, absolutely. They won in, a ton, in bunches. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you know. I, I think you look at certain things, and there's always the one thing Marty Schottenheimer always taught me: never compare player. Don't ever make a comparison to a player. Mm-hmm. Don't ever. You can always. You can always kind of uh, – he reminds me maybe of a guy. You never make a comparison as a coach. He never wanted you to compare a player to another player out there. That was his beliefs and reasonings, and I, I saw what he meant by that And as you – the older you get in this coaching profession. But, you know, everybody's going to compare these guys to – you know, th- that's all you look at, the comparison of this guy. Oh, is he going to amount to being this guy or that guy? But – as long as he wins football games, it, it, that size is not going to matter. 
I was talking, and it's, it's funny you said that because it was a, a coach for the Niners a couple of years ago who said the same thing. He's like, uh, when they drafted Patrick Willis and everything, and he was like, look, it, it's not about is he the next Ray Lewis? It's is he the first Patrick Willis? And and sure enough, Correct. you know, yeah. and that's the thing. You never want that guy Correct. to limit himself to being what the other person was either. Right. So putting that expectation and pressure on it on the one side and then on the other, limiting them to that ceiling when maybe they could surpass it. Right. I mean, the idea is that do you fit what they're trying to do offensively and defensively? Right. Can you run? Can you cover? Can you diagnose? Mm-hmm. Right from a middle linebacker position, right? How well can you do those particular things? And when you look at today's game, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but it seems as though the league is leaning heavily towards this, this uh, I guess this trend because growing up there was Levar Kirkland, mm-hmm. right? Who was a massive middle linebacker, right. right? Now we see the position starting to shrink because of the passing game. Do you see a time where maybe there isn't? Any linebackers on the field at all? Right now, it's basketball on grass, mm-hmm. and that's that's what you're looking for. Those speed type of players that it's really not even years. I, I could say seven to eight years ago with those Alabama linebackers, how big they were just to be able to take on guards, and how Parcells and the Giants in New England how they play things. I, I think it's just a speed game now. It is, and you got. Safety's playing linebacker now, essentially. Right. So, you listen to Broncos Country tonight here on KOA. It's 8.50 AM, 94.1 FM.